Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's mid-August, and here at Three Ravens HQ, we're settling down for a nice cup of tea. The weather is bright for once and it finally feels like summer. The lawns are hissing with life, the birds are singing in the trees, bees are buzzing through the lavender and with our tablecloth laid it's time to indulge in the most English of traditions. Provided, of course, that I can keep the wasps away. Bag foul fiend! Now, I have baked scones, and not far away I have two fundamental building blocks of English society. On the one hand, there's clotted cream. On the other, there's a pot of wild strawberry jam. I know which order they go on to the scones, and in your heart I think you know too. But there's an age-old debate that needs settling, and right here, Right now, it's time to put it to rest, once and for all. Teaspoons at the ready, I'll be mother, and with this thought in mind, gather round the Three Ravens campfire and listen in. Welcome to the Three Ravens podcast. There were three ravens set on a tree, down a down, hey down a down, they were as black as they might be. Down. One of them said to his mate, Where shall we our breakfast take? With a down, dairy, 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 down, down. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Three Ravens podcast. Episode 20! We are over halfway. I know! My name is Martin Vaux. I'm a writer, storyteller and English romanticism obsessive. And I'm joined, as ever, by my partner in crime and all dark hearts, Eleanor Conlon 
who is really full of beans today. Of course I am. Our podcast is about the 39 historic counties of England, yes. meaning this episode puts us over the line of halfway through our first lap round each of yeah. them. It's pretty amazing. It is amazing. And it's also amazing that by the time this episode goes out, we'll probably have just about passed through 40,000 downloads. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, everyone. <laughs> yes. Thank you to everyone who's been subscribing and reviewing and sharing us and telling your friends about the three Ravens and generally being so incredibly supportive of everything we've been doing. It's been an incredibly exciting six months since yeah. we started and we're so thankful to everyone who's taken the time to help us grow. Mm. Please don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> we really want to do more things, including taking more trips to places and doing investigations and buying books and all sorts. Yep. And the more listeners we have, the more we can afford to do things that cost money. Speaking of which, we need to start the episode by saying a big thank you to our new supporters on Patreon, Anya and Michelle. All hail Anya, King of Patreon. All hail Michelle, King of Patreon. And if you'd like to support the show, do please consider signing up for $3 a month or $6 a month via patreon.com forward slash Three Ravens podcast for all sorts of bonus content, mm -hmm. including our monthly Three Ravens newsletter containing England's folk customs for the month, plus magic spells, tarot spreads, other goodies, plus exclusive episodes, all our episodes ad-free, of course, and all our stories as text versions. In fact, this very Thursday, Day, in addition to our new Dying Arts episode, which will, of course, be available on the main podcast feed, we'll also be releasing our Three Ravens Film Club episode for August, all about the 2022 folk horror movie You Won't Be Alone, which we watched over the weekend. If you haven't seen it, do. We want to hear your thoughts. Yes. And we'll, of course, be announcing the new Three Ravens Film Club film at the start of September. Elsewhere, please keep reviewing the podcast if you can. Thank you to the 34 people who've done so on Spotify, you legends, and the 30 33 people who've done so on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And please send us your entries for our Three Ravens card design contest on the theme of winter folklore. Yes, we want to release those cards in time for everyone to send them to friends and family over Christmas. Yeah. So please send your entries along with other feedback to threeravenspodcast at gmail.com. We're inviting original work from artists of any skill level on the theme of winter folklore and we'll judge the entries after the end of series two and sell the three winning entries through our shop at threeravenspodcast.com yep. where you can see the first greetings cards you from can. round one of the competition. Another funky merch and that's on a 50-50 profit share basis with the winners. Now, hands in the air here. I've written a longer story for this week's episode, meaning there isn't much time to talk old festivals and saints days, but... We are releasing this episode on Monday the 21st of August. So, to everyone around Grasmere in Cumbria, we hope you enjoyed the Grasmere Sports Festival yesterday. If anyone went and saw the traditional Celtic wrestling, please send us photos. Well, that sounds a bit saucy. It is a bit saucy. <laughs> they basically don't wear any clothes. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Also, it was St. Philibert's Day. Yes. Hooray! Meaning the nut harvest has begun. Mm. I really want to make a joke about the Celtic wrestling and the nut harvest, but um, <laughs> you said we, we don't have time, so I'm moving swiftly on. Happy nutting, everyone. Indeed. Well, let's peel those unsettlingly naked wrestling <laughs> county criers away from their pile of hazelnuts and have them ring us into Devon. Oh 
Devonshire, which everyone just calls Devon these days, is located in the southwest of England. The county is bordered by the Bristol Channel to the north, Somerset and Dorset to the east, the English Channel to the south, and Cornwall to the west. As always, there's a map showing its precise location on the blog at threeravenspodcast.com. Now, Eleanor, we know from episode three that you spent quite a bit of time in Cornwall as a child, meaning you drove through Devon to get there. But do you have any particular associations with Devon, apart from bombing down the Atlantic Highway? Well, when I think of Devon, I think of Dartmoor, uh-huh. uh, this, this huge stretch of heathland yes. and cream teas. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, but it's not an area I've actually spent any time exploring. OK, well, there is a huge amount to see do and say about Devon, which is a county rich in folklore. And I've written quite a long story this week, meaning there's maybe less time than normal to talk about all the exciting Devon-related stuff. I'm going to just do my best to give everyone some highlights. Well, remember, the things you don't have time for this time, I can cover in our second lap of all the counties next year, so don't worry. Okay, although I am quite worried because I love Devon so much and I really want to do it justice. you're so sweet. Thank you, and guilty as charged. Um, So, it's maybe worth saying that I have personal connections to Devon. My family... Uh, though mostly based in Dorset and Somerset, did spend quite a lot of time in Devon. I went to school there when I was a boy, and then I went to university at the University of Exeter, which is an amazing city. And I also started my radio career there on Gemini FM in Exeter and on North Devon's Lantern FM, neither of which exist anymore, but that's a whole other story. Luckily, podcasting has a bit more longevity than local radio. Yes, that's true. That's true. Now, one of the things to say about Devon is that it is stunningly beautiful. Its name comes from an ancient Brythonic word meaning deep valleys, and it has two national parks, Dartmoor and Exmoor, as well as five protected areas of outstanding natural beauty. Wow, Dartmoor aside, I I didn't know that. I, I think I have faintly heard of Exmoor, but not really associated it with... Um, he, he, sure, sure. Well, you spoke in episode 15, our Dorset episode, about the Jurassic Coast, mm. and that stretches across into Devon. But also, if you know archaeology, then Devon gives its name to a whole 60 million year span of time called the Devonian era. I've heard of that, yes. but I couldn't place it in time. Well, that was when we got the first seed-bearing plants, the first insects and first spiders. Um, And it's named the Devonian era because it was rocks from Devon that were first studied by Roderick Murchison and Adam Sedgwick during the 1830s to reveal these millennia of development. Well, that's super interesting. Yeah. So the county motto is Auxilio Divino by divine aid. Nice. Which was also Sir Francis Drake's motto. And that speaks to Devon's significance in maritime history. Uh, With so much coastline, people regularly travelled to Devon from places like Wales, Ireland, Northern Europe and further afield across history, primarily because the county is so rich in minerals. We briefly touched on that during our Cornwall episode because the whole region is rich in tin. Yeah, that's right. And Devon was also rich in copper, silver and other precious metals as well as tin. And tin was pretty rare globally. People used to come from central Russia and as far away as Egypt during the Bronze Age to trade for tin to make bronze weapons, which is part of why the region was so wealthy at that time. 
right in thinking that Devon and Cornwall were actually one kingdom for quite a long time? Yeah, exactly right. So Devon was part of the Celtic kingdom of Domnonia with Cornwall, which, again, we spoke about a bit in our Cornwall episode, with a split between the two counties ultimately being along the banks of the River Tamar and dating back to the 8th century when we have the first records of Devonshire in Anglo-Saxon texts. Before then, we know that the area was inhabited by hunter-gatherer peoples as far back as 6,000 years ago due to discoveries of remains in Kent's caverns, which you can visit today, they're near Torquay, and the megalithic standing stones, or menhir, as they're also known, at Drizzlecombe, as well as all the ancient barrows and tumuli, they all speak to that as well. Okay, so I'm getting the sense that while maybe these days Devon isn't thought of as a major power base, it certainly used to be one. Well, it really did, right up until the county was conquered by Athelstan and became part of Wessex, meaning, again, it's Thomas Hardy country. Thomas Hardy! (laughs) Yeah, now, in Hardy's works, novels and stories set in Devon include The Trumpet Major, Jude the Obscure, A Pair of Blue Eyes, The Woodlanders, and some of Life's Little Ironies and The Romantic Adventures of a Milkmaid. Well, that's very interesting. And... Is Exeter the county town? It is. The other major city in Devon is Plymouth, where the Romans established a major port at Mount Batten. But the port city is famous for loads of things, including fending off the Spanish Armada in 1588, and of course being the harbour from which the Pilgrim Fathers departed for America in 1620. Sadly, just to finish on Plymouth, it was very badly bombed during the Second World War because it was such an important naval city, which it continues to be to this day. But the entire ancient city was levelled in the Blitz, meaning it was entirely rebuilt in the 1950s and 60s. That's awful, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, meanwhile, Exeter, while badly bombed, did survive a little bit more intact. Yeah, and I think most people in England would think of Exeter, Exeter Cathedral and the Roman Wall. Mm, Yeah. Now, unlike places like York, where the Roman walls survive intact, Exeter's Roman walls are only partial due to Nazi bombings, but the city was incredibly important during the Middle Ages, particularly as a religious centre. The city is named after the River X, as is Exmoor, with the area famed in the medieval era for the wool trade. In fact, we know trade was happening between Exeter and the classical world as far back as 250 BC due to Mediterranean coins and artefacts found in the city, which was at the time known as Isca, later Iskankaista, and then Exeter. And in addition to the city being riddled with old underground tunnels, which are spooky as all hell, the cathedral you mentioned was fully completed around the year 1400, and it's pretty amazing. I mean, I'm going to plead quite a lot of ignorance about Devon in general, but are there lots of castles and historic sites in the county? Oh boy, are there. Because Devon has historically been a rebellious place involved in every major conflict and civil uprising in England, including the Perkin Warbeck Rising of 1497, as well as all the usuals, you know, the anarchy, the Wars of the Roses, the civil wars, plus the Glorious Revolution started there, and it had its own rebellions, including the Preb, Book Rebellion of 1514. Okay, we get the idea. <laughs> okay, so the remnants of all these conflicts include amazing places like Powderham Castle, which is one of my all time favourites, as well as Castle Drogo, Totnes Castle, Berry Pomeroy Castle, Oakhampton Castle, Compton Castle, Watermouth Castle, Brixham Battery, Bearscore Castle, 
Dartmouth Castle, <laughs> Lidford Castle, Hemihop Castle, Marisco Castle on Lundy oh Island. Oh, goodness. Also, wasn't Castle Drogo in Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> Carl Drogo, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's Ca- where he lives. Castle Drogo is an interesting place. Um, and plus, you've also got monastic remains there, including Buckfast Abbey, Heartland oh, Abbey. Oh, nice. But I thought it was in Cornwall, so. Uh, okay. Uh, Tor Abbey, St. Nicholas Priory, and others. I mean, it's crazy how many amazing places there are to visit in Devon. And as always, I'll put pictures about all these places and a bit of actual information about them and links to National Trust sites, English Heritage sites, and so on, on the blog at threeravenspodcast.com. But I think that's going to take you quite a long time. (laughs) I feel quite rocked by how much there is to say and do about Devon. And we haven't talked about how Agatha Christie lived there at Greenway House or about, most importantly, the folklore. Okay, but before we get into that, you've teased enough. Can we please settle the big and really important question? All right, all right. I'm referring, of course, to scones. Yes. In in case people aren't aware of this, scones are a pretty serious business in England. It's a bit like the Crips and the Bloods in LA or the Sharks and the Jets in West Side Story. Because in this country, you either fall into one of two camps. People who eat their scones in the Devon way or people who eat their scones in the Cornwall way. Yes, and this is very easily settled. To be clear, this is about whether you put the clotted cream on your scone first and then put the jam on top, which is the Devon way the only way, the correct way, or you get those perverted people who put the jam on first and then the cream on top of that. Um. (laughs) Yeah, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Well... Maybe it's because I spent much of my childhood holidays in no, Cornwall. you can't mean... Look, I just think if you put the cream on first, the jam gets all mixed up with it and it looks <gasps> funny and I don't like it. <laughs> oh, I'm shocked. Nay, I'm appalled. The next thing you'll be telling me is that milk should go in before the tea in a cup of tea. <laughs> I mean, I don't think milk should go in the cup of tea at all, yeah, as that's you well true. know. You don't but like let's, let's not get silly. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, goodness. I mean, surely it makes sense. The cream's like the butter on toast. You wouldn't put the jam on first and then butter. No, but I don't put butter and jam on toast together. It's either toast with butter or toast with jam. Yeah, you do do that. You raw jam it straight to the toast like some kind of feral (laughs) wild woman. (laughs) Must be the Cornish influence. (laughs) Well, Three Ravens community, please contact us. Let us know which you think is the right way. Devon style, cream then jam, a.k.a. the proper way. Or... Jam then cream, the actual proper way, as is the manner in the sacred kingdom of Cornwall. Hmm. Should we talk about folklore now? I think so. And okay. I, I think, I'm hoping we can get through this. Yeah. Our relationship is strong. <laughs> <laughs> Stronger than scum politics, I hope. Yeah, it's true. Let's not let clotted cream ruin it. <laughs> okay, well, again, I'm conscious of time and there is so much I want to say. Well, be selective. Okay, fine. In which case... You might have guessed from the show notes, today's story is going to be about the hairy hands of Dartmoor, which are their own whole and major thing. But Dartmoor has its own black dog as well. Reassuring. Always a bit worried now if a county doesn't have a black dog. (laughs) Yeah, so this one doesn't have a name, actually. It's just called the Black Dog of Dartmoor. And again, it's supposed to be a hellhound that haunts the heaths, signalling bad omens to those who see it. And Devon's hellhound is the actual inspiration for Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Hound of the Baskervilles, which is pretty 
cool. Yeah. Uh, the area is absolutely rife with fairies, which are known as pixies in Devon. And this relates closely to the startling numbers of ancient tors and cairns in the county, including at Sheep Tor near Tavistock, Pixie Rocks near Chellicum, uh, Bowerman's Nose, Great Lynx Tor, Bellstone Tor, Cox Tor, Bag Tor, Great Miz, Kez Tor, Chinkwell, Fox Tor. <laughs> <laughs> this is so many tours. I know. Honestly, Devon is maybe the coolest place in England when it comes to folklore and ancient history. And one of the most interesting things about Devon's pixies is they're famed for riding the Dartmoor ponies <laughs> and getting up to trouble on horseback. Wow, equestrian fairies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and like in Somerset, they're meant to be malevolent fairies down that way. So do be careful if you see any. But... Be much, much more careful if you happen to encounter a knocker. A knocker? Yep. Well, we obviously talked about knuckers and necks, which are water-dwelling dragon-type creatures. Yeah. Are, are knockers the same? Or no, I can't no. say knockers with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> so they're a kind of imp or goblin that lives underground, and they're famous because in the county's legacy of mining, these nasty Nasty creatures are said to get very upset when mines are dug too close to their own subterranean homes and will knock on the stone underneath the earth, sending out warnings to the miners to get out. And if they don't, then a knocker will bring down mine shafts, killing everyone inside. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, knockers are not nice. And in America, they're known as Tommy Knockers, presumably because the Plymouth Rock pilgrims took the story away with them, maybe with some knockers stowing away aboard their Ooh, ships. Oh, no thanks. Thank you. Also, a bit, bit nimby of the knockers, isn't it? Yeah. Don't mind in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, true enough. Um, also malevolent, also on horseback in Devon, is the legend of Old Crocken. Now, this is a phantom rider who rides, and I'm not kidding here, a skeleton horse leading phantom hounds all around Crocken, Torn and Wistman's Wood. The legends of Old Crocken are truly ancient and he's thought to have maybe even been a pre-Christian god from the region. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Crocken Tor, which is this amazing ancient stone structure, was also the site of an ancient parliament which once had granite thrones, seats a table and a kind of sheltered area where tribes used to meet to discuss tin trading and so on. It was one of four of these ancient courts, later known as the Stannery Courts, with the others having existed at Ashburton, Chagford, Tavistock and Plimpton. Wow, I, I want to read more about these Stannery Courts. I have to make some notes. Well, they kept meeting right up until the Middle Ages. Wow. Yeah, it's properly properly cool. Um, one wild thing about Dartmoor is that it has no natural lakes, but Crazy Well Pool. Crazy Well Pool. Yeah, on Dartmoor. <laughs> it's this mysterious pool which people used to think had no bottom to it. And Crazy Well is associated with loads of interesting legends, including the Witch of Sheepstore. And it said, if you look into Crazy Well Pool on Midsummer Eve, then the reflection you'll see is of the person you know who's the next in line to die. Ooh, creepy. Yeah. Who's the witch of Sheep's Tour? <laughs> uh, so she is a witch who's famed for giving people misleading and bad advice. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, again, a real character from history. Um, now, I need to stop with the sheer amount of folklore I want to talk about because I don't want this episode to be three hours long. But there's also legends of Cranmere Pool, and the legend of Benji Gear, who's basically Devon's own Jan Tregeagle, if you remember him from our Cornwall episode. The most evil man in Cornwall, yeah, Jan Tregeagle. Yeah, that's Tregeagle. right. 
So there's a whole ton of devil stories associated with Devon as well, including the devil's footprint in the X estuary, the legend of the parson and the clerk from Tynemouth, the burning of the Widdicombe church because of Jan Reynolds beating the devil at cards. I mean, when you come to do round two of Devon, it's going to be an action-packed episode even then. Don't worry. We'll tell all the stories. Okay, There's good. plenty of time and a lot of years of Three Ravens yet to come. Okay, true. All right. Well, uh, one last thing I have to mention, and this one we alluded to way back in episode one when we were talking about Sussex. Okay. So the town of Ottery St. Mary, birthplace of one of my heroes, the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge, is famed for several things. And it's a stunningly beautiful town. But every November 5th, they hold an insane festival there that I completely adore. Oh, is this the tar barrels? It is. And if you've never seen photos from the tar barrels or videos of it, it's kind of impossible to imagine. But in essence, the festival sees thousands of people cramming into the narrow streets of Ottery St. Mary. And then from about four o'clock until midnight, starting with children carrying small barrels, then ladies, then men with very large barrels, local people from the town run through the streets carrying barrels on their backs, painted inside with tar and stuffed with straw, which they have also set on fire. Oh, I really can't believe this still happens. I would hate to be the person writing the risk assessment for this event. Oh, yeah, goodness. I mean, they, they've talked about banning it, but I think I think it's just such a long-standing tradition. they probably wouldn't be able to. Yeah, exactly. I think there would be just riots and defiance, but basically it's, yeah, really dangerous and absolutely incredible to witness. If you go, you need to be nimble because those people will run at you with flaming barrels on their backs, and if you're in the way, you're in trouble. It's kind of simple as that. Oh. Well then, is it story time now? Yes, it is. Time for my take on the hairy hands of Dartmoor. And I'll start spinning my yarn right after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I shouldn't have driven that road and I knew it before I set out. Trouble is, men in my family were an inquisitive bunch, always poking our noses in where they don't belong, see? Most families say that's women's business, but not for us. And had I not been born such a nosy sort of fellow myself, I never would have met Gilchrist. And if I'd never met him, well then, I'd be free to ponder rather than knowing the truth. There's some benefits to letting some questions be... It all came about because of my Uncle John. Folk from round my way, they don't move. We're 
born and live and work and die in the same ground our fathers knew. I had a cousin once who moved to that there London and he never came back. Some cities are big enough to eat people up whole, they say, biting us cobblers. I've been to Bristol and it's nothing special. But lots of things I once thought was cobblers I'm not so sure on. Anyway, as for John, he married a lass from Cornwall and moved to Torbay. Well, to my father and brother, that made him as good as dead, fit only for exchanging Christmas cards. But I called him up, partly on account of when I was a boy, he showed me a trick with a silver penny, making it disappear and run through his knuckles like water, which made me think of him fondly. When he died, he'd already been a widower, and his estate, such as it was, was split up, as is the way with these things, and I suppose I was as much a son to John as anyone and was appointed executor. So I was to Torbay, that wet summer, to settle John's affairs, meaning I was leaving home for the first time in many years, all on my lonesome. Now everybody round our way knows the tales of the hairy hands. Their stories going back to my father's father's time of that so-called haunted highway. Of horses and buggies driven off-road, people dying all sorts. But the big one that all recall was the incident with Dr. Ernest H. Elby. He was known, for he was medical officer at Dartmoor Prison, looking after all sorts when many folk wouldn't go within ten mile of the place. But one day, he took his wife out on his motorcycle in 1921. She were in the sidecar with the two daughters of the prison governor. It's said that they were out driving down the B3212. His hands were then grabbed by a pair of strong, calloused fists with a grip like iron. He yelled to his wife, and though she survived, as did the two girls, Dr. Helby lost control of the bike and crashed, dying of a fractured skull. That's perhaps the most famous death on that stretch of road, which runs from Pottsbridge to Two Bridges. But there's been a dozen cases or more in the papers alone of such strange occurrences along that thoroughfare. Army soldiers, journalists, young couples, women driving alone. The incidents stretch out for over a century. Used to make the news, but less so now. People always said the coppers round there hushed it up and made out folk had so many accidents on account of being unfamiliar with the camber of the road. I didn't believe it, but well, now I do. Plus, nobody round there calls the bridge Cherry Brook, which is the name on the map. They call it Hairy Hands Bridge because the stories are always the same. People assailed by mighty, hairy hands that come out of the dark, stinking of sulphur, trying to drag them off onto the moor. Now, I can't have been the first to look at a road map and think, well, I could go this away, but though that way's a bit longer, I wonder if I might take the winding route and make something out of the trip that's more than just a journey from A to B. So off I went, driving my old Volvo down the B3212, listening to the radio, Dartmoor whizzing by to my left and right. But I made an error, you see, thinking I'd have better luck seeing something by night. You know how it is with spooks and bogeys and the like, night time is when they're abroad, or so people say. And after I'd passed through Parts Bridge, which doesn't have a street light, I realised that all I could see outside the car was rough-edged shadows of heath and heather stretching on and on to the horizon. It was a misty night and cold, and the old Volvo was no good at keeping the weather out. 
I was driving in my old wax jacket, which I pulled close about me, seeing my breath in front of my face. But to encourage whatever horror I imagined there might be out there, I killed the radio and drove on in silence, just the rattle of the engine and the sounds of the tyres for company. Well, that and the thundering of my heart. Must have been sometime around midnight, which is just as I'd planned it, only as I sped down that famous road, headed towards that famous bridge, I saw a light up ahead waving me down. I slowed the car and came to a stop by the side of the road, and I could see by my headlights an old fella wearing a rough old coat with torn pockets, a waistcoat, flat cap, and walking boots that came up to the ankle. He was holding a torch, one of those with power enough to shine up and light the clouds, and he shone it right in my face, making me squint. wasn't until he was at my window that I got a good look at him. He was ruddy-faced, maybe with weather, maybe with drink, and he had wild white hair poking round the flat cap on his head, and he was out of breath, gasping. He tapped on the driver's side window with his torch, quickly. Tap, 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 and I wound it down an inch or two. Where are you two then? he said. He was a good old boy, that was clear as glass, looking something like a lord's gamekeeper down on his luck. He kept looking round him, shining his torch, and when he spoke, his breath smelled of whiskey and old tobacco smoke. Editor Torbay is what I said, and he looked at me with his grey-blue eyes and an upturned lip and a slow nod that said to me that, well, he knew what I was about. Down this stretch of road, at this time of night, pull the other one, he replied. I had to grin, because he'd caught me rubbernecking fair and square, but he didn't rub it in. You're not the first, he said, fiddling with his pocket, and you won't be the last, I'd wager, but do me a favour now, if you wouldn't mind. I need to get it back up to the Warren House Inn, and Sharpish. You passed right by it a minute ago. Sorry to trouble you, but it's a matter of some urgency. He strolled round to the passenger side as if I'd agreed to his request, and slightly taken aback, I did open the door for him, and he clambered in, pulling out an old mobile phone with the battery pack held on with sticking plasters. I'd be quick about it if I were you, he said, punching numbers into his phone. Elsewise, what you came to see may just come and see you, and do yourself a favour, wind that window up. I obliged and put the car in gear and set about turning in the road, but just as I did, I caught at the edge of my nose a smell that made me think maybe my new passenger had had some kind of accident. But he caught it too, and aged as he was, he was far from decrepit. Speed up now, lad, would you? He said, looking about the car and over his shoulder. Then he was pressing the mobile phone to his ear. Yeah, he said. Malcolm, hurry up, you silly goose. And then he ended the call and locked the door on his side. It was then that I heard a thump on my windshield. I was midway through reversing when it happened, swinging the steering wheel left and right, my feet hopping between the pedals, one hand on the gear stick. But when I heard that sound, I turned and looked at it, and there it was, a wide palm of a hand pressing down on the window glass. I felt my eyes widen and my mouth fall open, but I had no idea what to say. Only then a second hand thumped down on the window shield again, palm down, bang, fingers spread, long nails scratching at the glass. I just sort of stopped and stared, and then the old fella reached over, whacked on the windshield wipers, and gave me a mighty nudge. Drive, he said, 
And I did, watching as the wipers battered those hands on the glass which tumbled away as I put my foot down and hightailed it out of there. We roared back up the misty road and I don't think I said a thing. It wasn't until we got to the Warren House Inn that the old fella tapped the dashboard saying, Here we are, just pull up any place. I did, stopping the car and the old bloke hopped out and pulled from his coat something like an old shepherd's club. You know, the kind made from blackthorn with a knobbed head for cracking skulls. And without shutting the passenger door, he wandered round the vehicle the club raised, and then, when he was happy, he tucked it back into his coat and opened my door for me. Time for a drink, he said, standing by as I got out of the car, and he closed the doors, fiddling about with a length of string he wore about his neck. Eventually, he pulled it out of his clothes, revealing an old iron key, which turned out was a key to the pub's front door. You know, he continued, the fire in this inn has been burning constantly since 1845. An important date, 1845. What will you have? He walked in, and though the fire was there burning in the grate, it was otherwise empty. He turned some of the lights on and made his way round the bar, which had me thinking he owned the place, but he didn't. So when he explained his name was Gilchrist, and that the men of his family had a key as a favour for the duties they performed out on the moors. He poured me a stiff scotch and one for himself, and he beckoned me to sit on a chair by the bar while he talked. You see, he said, 1845 is when the gunpowder factory opened. He spoke as if I knew this already, but it was all news to me. It's called the powder mills now, but back when George Freen had teams of folk working, combining saltpeter, sulfur, and charcoal, you know much about gunpowder. Well, he said I didn't, and he carried on. Well, it used to be called alchemy, all that, and later came dynamite, but back then, gunpowder was how you blew into mine shafts. And you know, there's tin all through these parts, along with other metals and ores. So much so, if you stand by Cherry Brook with a compass, it's likely to go haywire. But old George Freen didn't think too brightly about where he'd put his gunpowder factory, because not a stone's throw to the west is Bellevertor. Ever seen Bellevertor? I shook my head, and he sipped his whiskey, talking to me like I was a child. Bellevertor is an ancient place, 5,000 year old or more. Used to be the start of the Lichway. Know what one of those is? I smiled then because it's old timer. He knew I didn't have a Scooby-Doo. Back before there were a church at Widdicombe, where people could hold funerals, the bishops at Exeter made folk from here walk their dead down a ways from Belliver Tor to Lidford Tor, then from White Barrow to Coffin Wood and on to St Petrarch's. And all along that way, holy men would wait. This is Saxon times. They called them seers, and they'd guard the lichway from spirits and pixies and keep an eye on the souls who lost their way along the route. It's a holy place, Bellevertor, but George Freen didn't get two monkeys. He used to test his gunpowder on the rocks thereabouts on the kists and the cairn circles, and some who worked for him didn't like it. He thought he was waking the dead, you see. Gilchrist poured himself another scotch, but I'd barely touched mine, and no sooner had he poured than he tipped his second dram down his big pink gullet. One of the lads working for him... Jethro Hamlin was a bear of a man, huge, over six feet tall, with hands like, well, with big, 
hairy, strong hands. And Jethro was born a cunning folk. His hands were craftsmen's hands, and his mother had taught him all the wisdom she'd been taught and some, and George Freem, he took advantage. You had Jethro working on all sorts, using chemicals and metals and what have you, despite Jethro saying how the powder tests were making the spirits upset. Gold will make men do strange things. Ain't that the truth, I replied, holding my drinking glass. Thing is, Gilchrist went on, one day Jethro Hamlin's aunt died, leaving Jethro her cottage up by Huckabee Farm, and so Jethro told George Freen he'd be moving on. Freen, well, he didn't like that and lost his temper, so Jethro came here, had a drink, and waited till dark. But he forgot something important. Then... There was a sound that made me jump out my skin. It came from behind me, a clanking of metal and heavy footsteps. Right there, Gilchrist, came a voice. Right there, Malcolm, he replied. I turned and saw a young man, not thirty, I'd wager, dressed in a policeman's uniform. The clanking sound was on account of the thing he was carrying on his back, which looked to me for all the world like an old weed sprayer of some sort. You know, the kind you wear with piston rods and a tube made of rubber connected to a valve and pressure gauge. It was cast in brass and dented all over with leather straps and nozzles here and there. So, Gilchrist continued, what Jethro Hamlin had forgot was his tools, Malcolm interrupted setting down the sprayer which clonked on the flagstone floor. Yeah, thanks, Mal, Gilchrist said. You can go now and thanks for fixing her. I'll stay, said Malcolm. I like this story. All right, but you keep quiet because I'm the one telling it. He turned back to me, the orange glow from the old fire reflecting in his eyes. And so, after dark, Jethro Hamlin went back to get his tools what he'd left at the gunpowder factory late that night. But he'd had a few boy then, and he was wearing his hobnail boots, Malcolm said. Aye, Gilchrist replied, rolling his eyes, and button it, Malcolm, just cause your mum and my Susan are friends doesn't mean I won't come round there and give you a hiding. Malcolm smiled, reaching about the bar and pouring himself a half of dark ale. Thing is, Gilchrist said, when on the factory floor, All the workers had to wear boots wrapped in rope in case of the nails in their shoes sparking, which is just what happened to Jethro Hamlin. Oh, place went up like the 5th of November, didn't it, Gilchrist? Yes, Malcolm, it did. The buildings Freen had built were at safe distance from one another and each had a flimsy roof which carried explosions upwards. But the spark from Jethro Hamlin's boots caused a cataclysmic blast which blew him to pieces. People saw for miles around and came running, but it wasn't until the next day they found what was left of Jethro Hamlin. Malcolm, who by then had sat down beside me, put his glass down and extended his forearms, wiggling his fingers and crossing his eyes, poking his tongue out of his mouth. Here we are, he said. And Gilchrist, right annoyed, bopped the lad's policeman's hat right off his head. Nobody knows what happened next, Gilchrist said, rinsing his glass and setting it out to dry. Or understands it. Maybe it was a cairns where his hands landed. Maybe it was the spirits from the lichway, woken up by the blast. Or maybe 
It was on account of all the chemicals that got into Jethro Hamlin's skin from all those years of alchemy and potion craft. Either way, people started to notice. Taps on the door at night, scratching on the window panes, scuttling shapes darting about the moorland in the dark. I think I must have narrowed my eyes then, taken aback. It all seemed so far-fetched, but Gilchrist was telling the story like it wasn't just true, but a chore to tell it. What I learned later was, somehow, the hands out there, they breed with one another. Most of the time, it's not a problem, especially in summer. They keep to Belliver Woods, where it's damp. They can catch birds and burrow into the ground, seeking out rabbits and the like. But every once in a while, they scrabble and scratch and dig their way through the earth, making new ways underground, out towards a river or someplace. Tell him about the campers, Malcolm said, smiling. That's why we have designated camping zones, you know. Special safe spots for fishing, too. In 2008, a couple thought they'd pitch a tent on the banks of East Dart, and then, middle of the night, a whole swarm came and tore their campsite to pieces. Pretty woman she was, but she lost an eye. Gilchrist nodded to me, indicating I should drink up, but I looked at Malcolm in his police uniform. I'm driving, I said, and Malcolm waved me off like it was nothing. Me too, he replied, clinking his glass against mine. Bottoms up, and if you do come back to camp... I'd stay in a caravan. We both drank and Gilchrist carried on, taking out his pipe and filling it with tobacco from a leather pouch, leaves of it spilling across the bar. Anyway, he said, you've come on one of those nights they like, and the mists are out. And I was doing my rounds, walking about just to check they were staying where they're meant to stay, but then... Ah, oh, you won't believe it, Mal, they're back all over Belliver Tor again! Oh no, Malcolm said. We get tourists, eh? Yeah, well, honestly, Malcolm continued. Ever since that newspaper man, Rufus Endell, people never come to stay here. They're scared. They drive on through like bats out of hell. Gilchrist struck a match, lit his pipe. Then, with our glasses rinsed, he approached a fire in the grate burn into one side of the room and pulled the great brass tank nearby. He primed it, yanking the lever, then turned the tap on its top, leaning the head of the sprayer down towards the flames. Oh, well done, Mal. You may be thick as mincemeat, but there's not a metal worker in all Devon with half your skill. The fire leapt up and flickered at the end of the spout of the sprayer, and Gilchrist sucked on his pipe, exhaling smoke from the smiling corners of his mouth. Special solution in there, Malcolm said under his breath, nodding at the canister. Best by the vicar and all. Only one thing they can't abide, Gilchrist said, taking his pipe from his mouth and pointing it at me. And that's fire. Holy cleansing flame. So this, he tapped the tank, ding, ding, made by my grandfather, it's what we use to keep him at bay. And if you like, seeing as you came here to see him, you can keep close by if you want and watch on while we clear him off. I don't know why I agreed. Might have been the whiskey. But we went in convoy, Malcolm first and me and Gilchrist following on. And after that, we parked up a little way off. Malcolm brought out something he called chum. Looked like meat and smelled terrible, either way. 
and then I watched on as the pair walked about through the mist, all about the ruins of the old powder mills and round Belliver Tor, herding those creatures in the dark. Nobody can quite imagine the sound a hand makes when it screams. Honestly, it's impossible to describe. But the smell of them burning, the smell of the hair, most of all, something I'll never forget. Still, I did see some of them up close, the hairy hands. Must have been hundreds they burned that night, each slightly different from the last, calloused and scabbed, some with long nails curling over, some with stubs where digits must have been lost. And for all my inquisitive nature, I ended up holding my nose that night, protecting it from the stink. Anyways, that's how I met Gilchrist, and he's a good bloke, really. We still exchange Christmas cards. Well, that was great. Oh, thanks. I have to ask straight off the bat, because yeah. I know you did loads of research for that story. Yes. Are all the places and people mentioned all real? Yep. I mean, my narrator and Malcolm and Gilchrist are all made up. But otherwise, yep, it's all based on fact and historical records. Wow. <laughs> it's a bit like the Hexham Heads. So their hairy hands are a bit of a modern folktale, starting kind of in the Victorian era at it's the really very earliest. interesting. Oh, and I appreciate you put some humour in there to lighten it. Yeah. Um, but it's really a horror story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I must say I was tickled by the idea of hairy hands breeding yeah. and making this little colony of hairy hands. But it's actually pretty horrendous if you, yeah. if you think about it. Yeah. There's actually quite a, a long tradition of haunted hand stories, mm, yeah, aren't there? Yeah. I'm thinking Legend of the Licked Hand, yeah, um, of course, uh, the urban legend. Yeah. Uh, Emma James, um, The Diary of Mr. Pointer, and The Hand by Maupassant. Yeah, and the narrative of A Ghost of a Hand by Lafayette. Is that the one with the the chubby sausage fingers? Yeah, chubby sausage fingers. coming through the window. Yeah, trying to beckon (laughs) to a young woman as an essay story. And maybe even The Monkey's Paw by W.W. Jacobs, of course. Yeah, I wonder what it is in all these stories. But hands are a bit creepy, aren't they? Well, they are. I mean, they're amazing. And if you look at your own for a minute and kind of just wiggle your fingers around and, and think about it, a little bit. They're pretty uncanny parts of the body. And of course, we can't get away from The Thing, from the Adams family, who everybody loves, I think. And I think must be inspired by tales of the hairy hands of dark. Yeah, the sort of disembodied hands. Yeah, that's, that's sort scuttling of personality, around. Yeah. Scuttling around like a spider. Yeah. <laughs> I also like that you included uh, the lich way oh, in your yeah. story. So that's um, that's a really old idea, and it's not just from Devon, no, is no, no. it? There are stories of lich or like um, yeah. ways all, all over, over England, England. Yeah. and uh, there's a there's a song the the Lightquake Dirge, yes. which is about that journey through the night it's across the moors of body. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, along the Litchway in Devon, there are a series of stones where you know they're ancient stones where people used to set the body down to have a rest and, and sit. Sort of ritual. Yeah, and then pick it up again and move it on. So you can actually walk the Litchway, oh, which oh, is pretty sensational. Oh, holiday wish list. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so goth, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I love all that stuff, though. And I just think 
you know, if you spend much time on Dartmoor wandering around and, and have enough time to get out of civilization, the wildness and the kind of mystical nature of that mm. place, with all these cans that you'll just come across, you'd be like, what is this? This is like an ancient ritual site. We've lost its meaning. We don't know what it's for. It's so inspiring to me. I think it's really exciting. It is. It's been in the news recently, Dartmoor, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, the subject of protests of people um, who are worried about losing the right to roam and yep. to camp on Dartmoor. Mm. Um, which is public land, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the government were seeking to stop people yeah. roaming and camping, um, but they weren't successful. Well, the protest was successful. I mean, maybe they were doing it for good reasons, trying to protect the public. From, from the hairy hands. Yeah, maybe they know about. something that we don't. <laughs> or malevolent pony riding fairies. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on to correspondence. Uh, we received a review this week from Ralph de Arkin. This is so nice. Uh, Tales of magic, mystery, and a little bit of history he writes martin and eleanor weave a fine mix of folklore of all varieties historical facts and mysterious fiction magical imagination and lore from long ago and told with fun and feeling not only the telling of fine tales but the building of community and making a space in which we all share our fun fear and fascination an excellent listen well produced and pleasantly personal if you're interested in England's treasure store of old stories, extraordinary lore and geographic quiddities then you won't do better than this you have my ears oh thank you Ralph that is so, so nice, nice. Incredibly nice. Um, and if you'd like to leave us a review please hop onto iTunes or Apple Podcasts and write us one or pop some stars on the podcast on Spotify or yeah. wherever else you listen but we did have some lovely messages this week as well didn't yeah, we? we did so one came from Robert who wrote to us following up on our witch bottles episode he wrote to us about a discovery in Litchfield where in the year 2000 a witch bottle was found during the renovations of the Litchfield Victoria Cottage Hospital along with a horse skeleton and a load of seashell mosaics which were thought to have been made by French prisoners of war during the Napoleonic era wow that that? is fascinating thanks Robert and we also had some lovely messages from Michelle who enjoyed our Patreon exclusive Pluckley special yeah and Helen, who shared some awesome stories related to her, maybe, probably, almost certainly, psychic cat. And yep. <laughs> uh, from Millie, who was very pleased to hear about the Tizzy Wizzy's return in last week's Westmoreland episode. Yay, Tizzy Wizzy's. Uh, as for our likers, commenters and super sharers this week, we need to say special thank yous to Kelly, Biani, Vivian, Kurt and Donna on Facebook, Gilly Mac one Tales from Tangled Wood, Linda Jane 2023 and Fluffy Stapler on Instagram and... Haunted Trails, Annie Brassy, Bevan Thomas, Elizabeth Henry and Save Redland Library on Twitter. Please do consider following us, joining the conversation and sharing us on social media where you can find us on facebook.com forward slash Three Ravens Podcast, mm-hmm. Instagram at Three Ravens Podcast and on Twitter via at Three Ravens Pod. And if you would like loads of bonus content and all of our episodes completely ad-free, then do consider signing up for our Patreon for $3 a month or $6 a month at patreon.com forward slash Three Ravens Podcast. So, Eleanor, where are we off to next week? We're headed to Huntingdonshire. Ooh. And I'm going to be writing a slightly spooky one for once. Oh, nice. Um, also, I, I realised I've included a lot of dogs in my <laughs> stories recently. So I've made a promise to myself, no dogs. It's going to be a canine-free episode. All right, well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> and I have to say, I have no idea where Huntingdonshire is. So it's going to be <laughs> an education. Uh, in the meantime, while our story's gone that way, we'll go this way. And remember, don't whistle till you're out of the woods.
Thanks and credit go to Michael Dacre's book, Devonshire Folk Tales, Ralph Whitlock's 1977 book, The Folklore of Devon, The Witchcraft and Folklore of Dartmoor by Ruth St. Ledger Gordon, and the amazing blog, awalkinenglishweather.com, all of which were incredibly useful in my research for this episode. Our theme song is the traditional folk ballad Three Ravens, performed by Eleanor Conlon and Ben Harbour, and our logo is by Ollie James Dare. The Three Ravens podcast is a Rust and Stardust production. Written and produced by me, Martin Vaux. Thanks for listening. God sent every gentleman, such hounds, such hawks, and such leemen, with a down, dairy, 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 down, down. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.